to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Corinthians chapter 9. Last week, and over the last couple of weeks, we talked about the liberties that we have as believers. That we're not to use our liberties because we have a freedom if our freedoms, if our liberties, if our convictions are such that we feel that we're allowed by the Lord to do certain things or to partake of certain things or to uh, attend certain things or to be a part of something that other believers might be a little offended by or, or stumbled by. I know that that is a very fine line there. There are some that will sit there and say, I... You know, I'm stumbled over everything that you do. You know, if if it's not, you know, exactly the way that I see the Word of God, that I'm stumbled by the way you live your life. And and so therefore, they want you to actually mimic their life or else they're stumbled. That's, that's not what Paul is saying. You know, uh, I'm stumbled that you go to the beach. I told you this a couple of weeks ago. You know, I'm stumbled that you go to the beach. Well, why are you stumbled? You're not there. You don't see me. You stay away from the beach. And uh, I promise I won't go to the beach with you. I'll never ask you to go to the beach. You stay away. You can't handle it. You don't want to go to the beach. It's okay. That's your conviction. Don't place your conviction on me on that. But it's that element of what Paul's saying. You might be in attendance of somewhere and, and another person is in there and they, you know, you, you might be, you know, there and, and you might partake of something that you feel the freedom to do. But in the presence of this other weaker believer, in your exercise of your liberty, it's causing them to stumble. Whether or not they partake or not, you cause them to stumble. There was a time many years ago, I used to wear shorts. I did. I used to wear shorts. And I loved wearing shorts. And and some might think that that's, Irresponsible as a pastor, I didn't wear shorts on Sundays. I usually it was during my, our midweek study. And as hard as this might be for some of you to 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 believe, and a woman that came up to me after the service and said, "I I just have to say that you wearing shorts stumbles me. I'm looking at your legs the whole service, and I'm going, okay, I just." I, I wish I had a pulpit that I could hide behind now. I didn't know that that was happening. And, and so, you know, from that point forward, I've never worn shorts in a pulpit. I don't ever want anybody to look at me or look at any, I know. Stop it, Orlene. Stop it right now. Just stop. <laughs> I, listen, there's certain things that are just not that important. I, I, I am jealous of brothers that get up in the pulpit in their shorts. It's, it's awesome. I like it. That's great. I, on the other hand, I don't want to do it. It's been brought to my attention one time that it causes, causes someone to stumble. I would rather not wear shorts for the rest of my life if it were to cause one person to stumble. Why the giggles? Listen, I'm not going to go down that road. I had something I was going to say. I'm not going down there. Um, so Paul's talking about liberties. And he says, you know, we have these liberties, we have these freedoms, but we should never use our freedoms or our liberties in the presence of someone else if it's going to cause them to stumble. It is really cool right here. And so I just felt some breeze coming here. So if you all want to come right here. Um, 
Don't use your liberties, your freedoms to exercise them because you can, because you're good with them if it's going to cause someone else to stumble. But then he moves on into 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And he begins to look and, and, and state that he has various rights also. He has some rights. He has some liberties. And you're going to see him lay out. And, and by the way, mind you, this was a hard message for me to, to actually prepare. Because I have no doubt that this was a hard message for Paul to pen. I think it would be a hard message for any pastor to pen. I think it would be a hard message for any pastor to preach. But, but I, I am one that, if you've been with me any amount of time, and I know that you could even ask my friend Steve over here, who's known me many years, you're going to find out that I don't really talk about tithing or money very often. When I do talk about it, maybe even to, it's even to a fault of mine at times. Because I never want people to think that church is about money. Church is not about money. You've heard me say this before. I've done it from the moment that I got here until even to this very day. I don't know what anybody in this church gives. So if you think you write a check trying to impress me, know this, I don't ever see it. I never see it. I don't know what you give. I've placed it. Not that I don't have the right to do that. I can do that. I can do that. Any pastor can do it. And many pastors do. I have nothing against them. I just know me. My heart is, and I learned this many, many, many years ago from my pastor out in California. And, and it was this that he had said, I, you know, there's things that you need to keep your hands off. There's three things to keep your hands off in ministry. Keep your hands off the women as a pastor. Keep your hands off the money. And keep your hands off of the glory. You keep your hands off of those things as a pastor, you're going to be doing pretty good. Make the main thing the main thing, the Word of God. And let God take care of the rest. And so, I don't really talk about money all that much. When I do talk about it, it's when it comes up in Scripture. I figure that's the reason I go through the Word of God. That's why I go through verse by verse through the Bible, because here's the reason. I can. I can, if I don't, if I'm just doing topical studies, I'm only going to focus on, or I'm going to have a tendency, or a temptation, if you will, to focus on the things that I think you need to hear, or the things that I'm in the most need of. You're never going to see on this side of our stage a thermometer saying this is how much money we need, and on this side of the, thermom- uh, this side of the stage this is how much you've given. You're, you're never going to see that in this church. I don't want to come down on a church that does that. But, but I don't want that to be the focus of our church. Our, our, our focus isn't on money. We don't hand out an offering plate in this place. We've got a box in the back. You want to give to the Lord? Right back there is the box. Do it. Please give to the Lord. Not for me, for you. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. But... It's always a, a hard thing for a pastor, or for me, not all pastors, but for me, I try not to, to make things about money. I remember uh, I used to, one of my favorite parts of a newspaper. Do they still make those, by the way, newspapers? Um, one of my favorite parts of a newspaper was the cartoon section. Ah, surprise, now we understand. Explains a lot, doesn't it? Um, one of my favorite parts in the newspaper is the, is the comics, especially on a Sunday morning. Sunday morning is when you get the colored, you know, everything's colored, right? It's all in full color. Do you all remember a cartoon from uh, an artist or a cartoonist, his name was Bill Keen, uh, called The Family Circle? Any of you guys remember The Family Circle? Billy, you know? And PJ and dad and, you know, all the, you know, mom and, and so on and so forth. Well, Billy, there was, Bill Keene would oftentimes do a segment where he would, he would, uh, uh, he would have Billy take over, you know, hey, Bill Keene is off today. And, and he, he, he like, he does this weird cartoon morph type thing where 
He talks about real life saying, hey, Bill Keen's taken the day off. He's given his artist, his cartoon pen to his son, Billy. And so Billy's doing the artwork today. Billy's doing the cartoon today. And so Billy, and it's really not true because Billy can't draw that good. But Billy, he, he draws and Billy is doing it today. And so Billy... He writes this little single frame. That usually was family, family Circle. It was a single frame comic. It didn't have a bunch of strips after it. It was just one single frame. And in this circle was Billy on the inside at his dad's drawing board or his dad's drawing table. And he has in, you know, the, the, the caption above his head is, What do I want to be when I grow up? And Billy is sitting there and he's, he's drawing, but he has that little cloud that goes off in his head. And one cloud is a fireman. What do you think a fireman's holding? A fire hose, right? Spewing water, you know, spewing water. And another one shows a policeman. What do you think a policeman's holding? A what? A gun. <laughs> That's what we think in 2016. But, but when this was done, he had a whistle and he was doing this, okay? <laughs> He's blowing a whistle. Uh, and he had another little cloud of a doctor. What do you think a doctor? A stethoscope. And he had one of those, what is that, little headlight, you know, thing that was on, you know. He had that, that on. And so he had that. And then he had a pastor. What do you think a pastor had? Huh? Oh, I wish it was. Huh? A cross? Wasn't a cross. It was a bucket. It was a bucket. And people were tossing money in the bucket. And that was a pastor. And I'm going, really? Is that what people think a pastor is? You know what? There are a lot of people. You might even think that. Pastors are about money. You see me wearing the same clothes. I'm not about money, man. I, I'm not about money. We had a, a guest over at our house just this last week that was in our wedding. And uh, she's traveled all over the place. And she's uh, an Arubian, if that's the right way to say that she's from Aruba. Is that right? Arubian. It's like an Arabian. Arubian. Uh, she's from the island of Aruba. She's a good friend of Lynette's. Her name is Norma. And Norma has traveled all over the place. She's gone to school and, and all over the place. She's been in California a lot. She's been up in Washington. She's been all over the place. She was one of our friends over in Fort Lauderdale. And one thing that Norma had said is that we were talking one night fairly late the other night. And, and she had said, you know, I just don't trust pastors anymore. Pastors aren't what they used to be. Pastors are oftentimes filled with lies. And, and, and they're not real. And so I, I don't trust pastors anymore. And, and I said, is that all pastors, Norma? She goes, yes. I have not found one that is real in what it is that he says. I said, Norma, do you know me? Do you think I am that? I, I want you to honestly answer that question. Is that me? No, 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 honey, it's not you. And that's just what she says. She wasn't really calling me honey. It was in front of my wife, by the way. She call you honey. She calls everybody honey, you know. She calls the guy ripping somebody off. Honey, 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 don't do that, you know. That was just... <laughs> she goes, honey, 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 honey. No, 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 not you. And I said, well, you said every pastor. I said, you know, Norma, there are still guys out there that really still truly believe what it is that they read in the Word that haven't changed. I don't know that I've changed a whole lot. It would be interesting. I'd love to pick Steve's brain, you know, sometime, you know, over the next couple of days, you know, to see, have I changed? Because he knew me a long, long time ago. Is my message any different? Hopefully it's better, but hopefully it's the same message. It's about verse by verse through the Bible. It's about seeking God's face. It's about not how much money I can get. I, I felt the need to actually lay that foundation before I get into what it is that I'm going to say. Because 
This is, is going to be a, a, a very different kind of a message. Paul, he writes in chapter 9, he says, Am I not an apostle? Paul's on a defensive here. He's on the defensive here with the Corinthians. He says, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you guys not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? I would read the whole passage, but I'm not going to read it because I, I've got to get through this, what I want to talk about today. So he says, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? Am I not an apostle? I remember I, I've shared this with you before, I know, and I won't go too much into it, but um, back before I came over here, I was the, uh, amongst many other ministries that I was involved with over in Calvary, Fort Lauderdale, I was um, the, the singles leader. I was a singles pastor over there. And, and um, we had about 800 singles. <laughs> that was my every Friday night. Um, was my, my church basically was 800 singles. We, t- we had a, a, a singles retreat down at Marco Island right before I left. We had 400 singles that, that took off for three days to go down to Marco Island. Some of them were actually from here in Sarasota, actually had joined up with us and went down there. John Moore, and before John Moore was married to his wife, if any of you guys know John, John was actually a part of that, that singles retreat. And I taught all six messages for the thing. And, and, and we baptized 80 singles in the water that day, uh, that weekend. Uh, by the way, singles ministry is like one of the most volatile ministries in all of, I mean, hormones are racing and people want to get married. It's a tough ministry to be a part of. We had a great time though. Had a great time. Moved over here. This is what the Lord has chosen to, to give here for us. Well, while we were down there at that retreat, we, I taught all six messages. It was tough. I, I, you know, if you've ever taught one message, you know how tough it is. Teach six messages in a matter of three days. You know, actually, it's a matter of one evening, all of Saturday, and then one message on, on Sunday. Uh, or actually, it was Monday when, when we did Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday. And I guess we came back, we, we left on Sunday. But we... Uh, you know, giving six messages over that amount of time, it's, it's tough because you've got so many notes. You've got, your brain is in so many different places. I gave six messages. I, I didn't think that they went bad. In, in fact, I heard a lot of good reports, but I learned, be careful of all the reports that you ever get from a message because, you know, some are true and some are maybe just trying to encourage you. <laughs> and and uh, I actually found a guy's Bible Actually, they, the hotel staff, after everybody left, Lynette and I stayed there one extra day just to decompress, you know, after everybody was gone. And, and the only thing that anybody left was a Bible. And uh, the guy's name was Greg. <laughs> and, and, and I got Greg's Bible. And, and in his Bible was, was the, the, the program for our singles retreat. And inside, there was a place for all the notes for all different messages that were in there. And I opened it. I thought, wow, what an interesting opportunity for me. I've just finished this, this biggest conference I've ever done in my life. Six messages on my own. That's awesome. This is going to be a great time for me to actually get some good feedback. Don't ever do this to yourself, by the way. I opened up this thing and I opened up. I, I, and first off, I looked at, at the front of the Bible and found out whose Bible it was. I knew the guy. I knew him. And I look at his notes, and his notes in there are talking. It's him kind of just kind of scribbling on this paper, and you can see his handwriting because guys have chicken scratch. I don't know why God has not gifted men with good handwriting, and it seems like all women have like this just beautiful handwriting. Well, he's talking to a girl, obviously. 
I would hope that it wasn't a guy writing like that. But here's, they were writing back and forth. And, and the, the, the dialogue that they were having was, I'm bored. That was him. She was going, I'm not. I'm getting things out of this. This is neat. And he, you know, he keeps, you know, I'm learning what he's saying, you know. And he's going, no way. This guy's so boring. I'm wanting positive feedback. I'm not getting positive feedback. I'm getting trashed by this guy. You know, she had said, no, he isn't. You know, he's, this is a reason I don't like to sit by people like you. You're a distractor. She called him a distractor. I'm going, just give it to him. You tell him he's a distractor, you know. And he writes again, you know, he goes, I'm not being a distractor. And, and she had said, you know, I just think that he's boring, you know. And then, and then she wrote, is he a pastor? And if he couldn't have hurt me enough, he says, no, I think he's like a junior pastor or something like that. <laughs> and I'm like, can you just take my heart out and just let me see it pump just a couple times in your hand before I'm dead? You know, I, here's the thing. He just ripped my heart out. I'm just going, man, I studied for this for months and this is my feedback. I'm a boring not even real pastor. I'm just a junior pastor. What is a junior pastor? I don't even know what a junior pastor is. Well, I got it. My wife says, you know what, honey? You shouldn't have done that. You, you learned. Don't ever do that again. Um, just put the Bible down and let's go out by the pool and let's just relax. I'm, I'm kind of not feeling good. I'm feeling bummed, as you probably would. You go, man, I wonder if that's what everybody else felt like. I'm out there and I'm just kind of brooding by the side of the pool. And all of a sudden... Greg shows up. There's no other singles. There are 400 singles. They're all gone. And Greg shows up and he goes, Hey, Pastor Don and Lynette. He didn't call me Junior Pastor Don. He called me Pastor Don. He goes, Hey, Pastor Don and Lynette. I go, Oh, hey, Greg. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I said, Hey, hey, how you doing, man? And he goes, Hey, I left my Bible here. Um, did did they say anything that they got in my, my Bible? I says, yeah, it's in my it's in my room. And he goes, can I just tell you one thing, just to encourage you? I said, sure, Greg. He goes, you know, this was the best singles retreat I've ever been on in my life. You taught me so much. Everything in me to keep my mouth shut and say, you're a liar. You're just telling me things that you don't really mean. And it bummed me out. But I'm going, oh, thanks, Greg. Thanks, Greg. He, never, he doesn't even know to this day. I've never used his last name. If he's ever picked up one of my messages, he'll know who he is. Greg, if you're <laughs> listening right now. I wasn't a junior pastor, buddy. Okay, I'm just joking. I just, I'm good. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not frosted over that anymore. Here's the thing. Am I not an apostle, Paul says? I'm not a junior apostle. That's what Paul's saying. I'm not a junior apostle. I, I, I'm, a, I'm an apostle. I actually am. A, am I not? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? A, am I not one of those guys? Or am I lesser in your eyes? Wait a minute. He says, are you not my work in the Lord? They weren't here. They're not the one that preached the gospel to you that you received and you are right now in right standing with the Lord and you're going to go to heaven because God brought me here to lay out the gospel to you. It's not that it's in me or that, that I am anything great, but I am the one who brought you the gospel. I'm the father of your faith, if you will. I'm the one who brought you the gospel and you responded to it. If anything, you are a proof text of what God has done in my life. Of what God has done in my life. Am I not an apostle to others? Yet doubtless, I, I, though you might go, well, yeah, you're not an apostle to others. Doubtless, he says, I am to you. You have no argument there. You know these things. You are the seal of my, of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do, do we have no right to eat and drink? Do, do, he's now laying out these things of these, of these uh, limitations that the church is saying, it's okay 
for the other apostles to do it, but not you guys. Other pastors can do it, but not you guys. You, Barnabas, and Saul, you can't do it. You, Barnabas, and Paul. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brother in the Lord, or the brother of the Lord, and Cephas? They all have taken their wives. Are you saying that we can't have wives? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Here, here's what he's saying. I'm here and I'm teaching you and I'm here on a day-by-day basis and I'm ministering and you are requiring me to work because you don't want to give in order for me to be your full-time pastor, your full-time minister. He goes, do I have no right to refrain from working? No. He then goes on and he says, In verse 7, whoever goes to war at his own expense. He then uses another illustration. He goes, who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat of its fruit? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? He's sitting here saying, hey, what soldier, what GI takes his own weapon, his own ammunition into battle at his own expense? He's saying, what sailor will actually take his own boat and take it into a battle against another country? It doesn't happen. That doesn't make sense. What pilot provides his own F-22 Raptor at a cost of well over $420 million or maybe the new F-35, you know, joint strike fighter jet at a cost between somewhere between 148 and $337 million dollars? What pilot actually takes along his own one that he purchased by his own work, by the own sweat of his own brow, to make the money to get a Raptor or to get that Joint Strike Fighter to take it into battle and, and then have to purchase his own ammunition? And then he says, what about a farmer? Does a farmer not eat from his own fields? He goes out there and he fields, he harvests his fields, he plants, he plows, he plants, he, he, you know, tends, and then he harvests. Are you saying a farmer shouldn't take and partake of the, of the fields? He goes, or what about, what about a farmer who has animals, cows or sheep or goats? Are you, do you really expect that farmer not to drink of the milk of the goats or the cows? Or eat of the meat of the flock? I mean, really, does that even make sense? Paul's laying out his defense. He's not done yet. He says, do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? He's saying, do I say these things as a mere man? Or does does not the law uh, say the same things also? He's saying... I'm not simply coming up with this idea on my own. For the word of God, the law of God actually instructs and commands how someone is to treat an ox when he's working. He says here, he goes, It's written in the law of Moses, verse 9, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And then he asks the question that, that should be asked at this time as he lays out that illustration. He says, Is it really the oxen that God's concerned about? Or does God say this altogether for our sakes? And then he answers this question. That was a rhetorical question. Both of those were rhetorical questions. He says, and you know what a rhetorical question is. A rhetorical question is, is, you know, something. When something is rhetorical, it means that there's an obvious answer or an obvious understanding to what was just said. So Paul, he has an obvious statement here. He says, does God, is God concerned about the oxen? Or does he say these things? Don't muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Does God say this altogether for our sakes? He goes, here's the answer. For our sakes, no doubt. Thus, or this is written. He says, for our sakes, no doubt. This is written that he who plows should plow in hope. And he who threshes in hope should be a partaker of this hope. God isn't saying this for the sake of the oxen because God has a feelings for the oxen. 
God is saying this because he wants the people to know that they must support their own ministers, their priests, their servants that are in ministry. Paul is saying that a pastor or a missionary that's plowing fields for the sake of furthering the cause of Christ should also be supported by those that are being ministered to. God has given instruction throughout Scripture in the Old and New Testament on how the children of God were to give. And I know that there's a difference. There are many that have a difference and say, well, there's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there were, there were tithes that were dictated, that God had laid out that they should give, that a person should give. But understand this, you know, and, and when you say tithe, well, the Old Testament was only 10%. No, it really wasn't only 10%. There was a lot of tithes. There were many tithes. There were, there were tithes for the temple. There were tithes for uh, uh, the poor. There were also tithes for the priests and those ministering before the Lord. In fact, taken all together, all of the tithes that were out there that were required of man, the... Uh, the actual tithes came out to just a little bit over 23% of a person's annual income was actually going to a tithe. That wasn't a tithe meaning tenth. It was a tenth for this, it was a tenth for that, it was a tenth for this, and it was a portion for that. It was like 23.3% came out. And so when we, we look at the New Testament, we go, well, a New Testament person will say, well, here's the thing. That was the old, this is the new. We're never commanded in the New Testament to tithe. And, and so, therefore, tithing is now gone. Tithing isn't commanded. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, why? Why is tithing not required? It was, tithing is a legalistic mindset. You have to do this at this time of the year, and you have to give this much. You have to do this. You have to give this much when you want this. These are the things that you have to give. <clears throat> That's under the, the law. That was the law. But in the New Testament, we're no longer under the law. In the New Testament, we're under grace. Our salvation is not granted under a legalistic system. Therefore, it would be inconsistent that our giving would also be put under an old legalistic system. Our giving today is to be done beginning from the platform of thankfulness and gratitude and honor to God for what He has already given to us. Giving is to be expected. Paul will later on in this book, he'll say in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and in verse 2, he'll say, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something, Storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collection when I come. The point is, as Paul's saying, on the first day of the week, take your money and, and, and either save it or put it into a pool. Because when I come, I'm going to gather that money and I'm going to go and I'm going to use it for the ministry. And, and so here's the thing. This Paul having a problem with people going, yeah, well, we're in the New Testament, buddy. We don't have to give anything. And Paul would say, you know what? You're right. You don't have to give anything to be saved. And so we, ha we have to ask this question, what is the purpose of giving? Especially in the New Testament. But what is the, new, what is the, what is the purpose in giving, old or new, either way? It, it, it's this. There's four things that I, I see, and there's, it's not an exhaustive list. It could go on. But I would look at the first being the role of God. What is the role of God in someone's life? Oftentimes, I think it was uh, <clears throat> D.L. Moody, I think, said, I can tell the strength of a person's relationship with the Lord not by looking at his Bible, but by looking at his checkbook. And, and, and he, he, he was making a point. Are, is, are you being used by the Lord financially to minister and to support what it is that God is trying to do in the world today, in the world today. And so the purpose of giving is to establish the role of God in one's life. It's to honor Him as God and the master of being the first fruits of the things that, that we have been given. And you might go, well, you know, here's the thing. Given is kind of a hard thing for you to say because 
I actually work for that. And so it's actually me that worked for that. And so that's actually mine. That's mine. You're like, the, you know, one of the seagulls in, in the uh, finding, you know, Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. You know, mine, 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 mine. It's mine, 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 my money, my money. It's mine. I worked for it. Or little Daffy Duck, you remember in the Looney Tunes? You know, mine, 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 mine. You know, all the money. It's mine, mine, mine. And, and, and we have that kind of a mentality in the New Testament going, well, you know what, money, <clears throat> money is mine because in the New Testament, it's not mandated. It's not in the law that says that I have to give a tenth. In fact, there's nowhere we would be hard-pressed to find anywhere in the New Testament that says you must give a tenth, you must give a tithe. It doesn't say that. But again, I take you back with this mindset and say, why is it that God doesn't set out that standard there? It's because we are saved Apart from the law, the law drives us to Christ. We are saved through the faith, through grace, by faith. That's what we're saved by. We're not saved by a legalistic system anymore. We're saved by Christ. And there are a plethora of verses in here talking about the role of a person giving in the New Testament. And what the New Testament is, it, or what, what the role of God in our life, we can determine by, are we using our money for Him? Do we recognize that all things belong to God? Even your own bank account. Your own bank account. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. You can look this up later. Jot it down look it up later. It says, "...in all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree..." is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. And so under the legalistic system, God's saying, I'm going to force you to, I'm going to, I'm going to set out a mandate, I'm going to set out a law that when you bring in your fruit, when you bring in the harvest, you know, from your field, you need to give a tenth to the Lord. The first tenth. The best tenth to the Lord. And, and here's the thing. They don't come back to the Lord and say what many New Testament saints say today. Wait a minute. It's my money. I worked for it. They didn't say, hey, I worked the fields for this work, you know, for this bounty, Lord. It's mine. I, by the sweat of my brow, have harvested, harvested such a bountiful harvest. I don't think I want to give you 10% because it's mine. They, they didn't say that. That wasn't an argument back in that day. It might have been an argument, but it was a moot argument. It was not a, a good argument. And so with this New Testament mindset saying, well, I don't have to give God really anything, or I'll give him whatever I, whatever's left over. Be careful of giving God your leftovers. The second is role of man. What is the role of man? The God's purposes and the why a person should give to him is the role of man. To consciously recognize that God has called us to be stewards. God has called you, God has called me, God has called us to be his servants, to be his, to be his, his kids that are living for him, to be his, his stewards, to be, as Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I go away, if I do not go away, I can't send the Comforter, I can't send the Holy Spirit to you. But if I do go away, I will send him to you and he is with you and he will be in you. And so Jesus says it's to your advantage that I go away. And if we look at that and go, well, why would it ever be to our advantage that Jesus Christ in the flesh would ever go away and call it an advantage to us if he did that? Now stick with me here for just a second, guys. Listen, Jesus says it's better that I go away then if I were to stay, and we might scratch our head and say, that doesn't make sense. It sure would be awesome. Don't you think it would be awesome if Jesus were here in the flesh today? That you could go and visit him wherever it would be that he would be. It would probably be in Israel. That you could go to him and he'd know your name. He'd know everything about you. Wouldn't that be great? To be able to go and actually have an audience with the Lord and know that when you're in his audience that you are the only person alive that is in his mind at that time. That you're Jesus. He's, he cares about you individually. Like the woman at the well. 
Or the man who, who was by the, the, the swirling waters, just wanting one day to be healed. And the Lord seeing him, seeing him and saying, you want to be healed? How can I be unless someone were to take me over to the waters when an angel whipped up the waters and touched the waters? The myth that one day you know, an angel would go and stir the waters and whoever touched the water first would be the one that would be healed. And Jesus says, nah, you don't need to do that. You get up, take your bed, walk, you're healed. Jesus, he had, he, when he dealt with people, he dealt with individuals, man. He dealt with them fully. You ever been around somebody that is important in their own eyes? That when you're talking to them, you're face to face with them, but they're always, here you are, here you are looking at them and you're giving your undivided attention to them and they're doing this. Yeah, uh-huh. Oh, hey, that, that's great. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? It, it was that bad, huh? You've, you've had a bad week, huh? Yeah. Uh, and they're not paying attention to you, and you're sitting here going, I'm talking to no one right here. And you might really like that person. I know I've done that before, and if I've done that to you, I apologize. Because that's not my heart. My heart is that when, when you're in front of me, I don't want to be distracted by other things. And my puny little mind at times will be distracted. And I apologize for my weakness in my distraction. But every ounce of my being desires to focus on you. And hopefully if you've done any talking with me, you see that I, I will do as much as I can to keep my focus on you. Someone might walk up and everything in me goes, I just want to look to see who it is, but I don't want this person to think that they're not important. Going back to the beginning, it's the reason why I don't ever know what anybody gives in this church. I don't want to treat anybody differently in this church because of how much they give or how much little they give or if they get, don't give at all. My, heart, my purpose here in this church isn't to minister to the ones that are supporting the church. My job at the church is to minister whoever God brings in this door. And I don't ever want to be swayed by someone writing a check. I don't want to do that. That's not who I want to be. I don't want to be that man. Because I know man has weakness. And I have weakness. And so I try to put hedges about myself. I want you to feel like you're important to me when I'm talking to you, when I'm counseling you. I was just sharing this last week even with my son. When you know why I take a long time? Do you know why I take a long time? I take a long time on a Sunday morning with you because I want to give you everything that I have. I get one day a week with you, man, and I want to give you everything that I have. I don't want you leaving without you getting my best. I, that's what I want. I want that for you. If I could take my brain out and take what I know that the Lord has shown me and put it in you and let you experience it for just a second, just a second. If I could do that every week, we could get out of here a little lot sooner. I give you everything. And I know it's times are tough, man. But I don't want to be a 59-minute service where I give you a little vignette of the Lord and say, hey, get on out there. I want to give you the good food. I want to give you good food. That's my heart. My heart is to give you my best. And I want to look at you. And I want you to know that when you're hearing from me and you're... And I don't always do my best. I fail at this so many times. But that's not my heart. My heart is to love you and to minister to you. You. Because God loves you. And he's called me to share that with you. And I know it's tough sometimes, and I know I'm tired at times, and I know sometimes it's inconvenient, but you know what? You are not an inconvenience to the Lord. And it causes problems at times, so be it. But I want you to know, you are important to the Lord. And that's, that's what I believe Paul, or what God desires us to know, is that when you give... You're, you're showing yourself that you are mine. You're mine. And you're willing to do whatever it is to advance my kingdom. That's the role of man. I've got to hurry. I, you know, 
Matthew 6. Jesus, I don't have time to read the whole passage right there. It's Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. Jesus says, when you give to the poor. He doesn't say if you give. He says when you give. It is expected by Jesus that man gives. Those who were his kids give. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, that it's required in stewards that a man be, that one be found faithful, that a steward, that you and I be found faithful. This is what God's called us to be. We are to honor and glorify our, our God because of what he's done for us, whether it be through our time, whether it be through our effort, whether it be financially, whether it be physically, whether it be whatever it is that God has entrusted to me, whatever God has entrusted to you, whatever God has entrusted to us corporately as a church, can we help someone else? Can we minister in the love of Jesus Christ? That's why God calls us to give. When you give, when we give and I give, when we give, you think, well, you're the pastor, you shouldn't be tithing. No, 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 no. Understand this. That kind of takes us, it segues into the, God, the role of God's workers. It's the means by which God will provide for those that he's called into ministry. When you give, it provides for the person who God has placed in the role of active ministry. But know this. Numbers chapter 18, verse 26 says, talking to the priest, talking to those that are, that are ministering for him, he says, when you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them as your inheritance, then you shall offer up and heave offering to the Lord a tithe of the tithe. And so here's the thing. Anytime I ever get anything... If the church ever pays me anything, here's the thing. I can take that and I give back to the, uh, back to the church. I work outside of the church. There's a lot of you that don't know this. I, I don't get paid for doing what I do on a week-by-week -week basis. I don't receive a dime from this church. I haven't for a long time. I don't say that begrudgingly whatsoever. I say that because this is the season in my life that God has called me to be. That's okay. It's okay. I've been in full-time ministry here, even, at times. But for us to actually have this building and to have those two buildings over there where the kids right now are learning from my wife right now that we have a place to meet. I came off of, uh, off of staff. I came off of any kind of paid position here. I don't get paid. I don't get paid. If you think that I... When I give a message, you go, well, you only do this because you're a pastor. You get paid to do this. I don't get paid a dime. I get paid as much as you for coming to church. And so never use that or ever think that I, you know, do this simply because I get paid. This isn't a job to me. This is a calling. This pulpit is not a job. It is a calling. There are too many pastors behind pulpits that are, it's a job. It's a job to them. Ministry has taken a back seat many, many years prior to that. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody because I am far from that. Here's the thing. I don't do this because of money. My heart is exactly what Paul just says. And I'll read it as we finish. But the last thing is the means, uh, the reason why, why, why a person should give. It's the role of God. You see the role of God in your life. You begin to understand and consciously recognize what the role of yourself or the role of man is to be. The role of God's workers, how when you give, it supports those that God has placed into active ministry over you. And it's the role of the world by which the, the, the Lord, God ministers to the world through the church. How do you think we can minister to somebody outside of the church if you don't give? How can we minister to, a, to, to somebody in the church that is struggling financially and they're about to lose their home? And, and, and we go in and say, hey, you know what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to come in and we're going we're gonna to get this month's rent for you. Where do you think that money comes from? It doesn't come from me working outside of the church. It comes from all of us pouring our resources together. And what little we have in a benevolence fund to be able to go and give freely to someone and say, take it, this is a gift from the Lord. Jesus Christ loves you this much. And you, I just get the joy of being able to see their faces, but they do it 
It's you that provide that opportunity. That's how the word, that, that's, that's how we operate. We couldn't afford these things if I was drawing a salary from here. We, we couldn't afford these buildings. You know, well, then go somewhere else. Where? Your house, my house? Where? Where would we go? Understand, anytime you start having a house, even with the size that we are today, and you do it on a week-by-week basis, do you know what you're doing to your neighbors? Do you know what your neighbors are saying? I, I, I've had many Bible studies at my house, and I've had a lot of my neighbors coming over and going, you broke another sprinkler. I'm so sorry. Uh, hey, I, uh, I'll fix it for you. I'll fix it for you. Hey, why don't you come on over one of these? I ain't going to come. No. Now, you're going to have like this every week. It's a, it's a, it's a problem to them. We have, we have a public arena here. We live in America where it's still free, right? Where we can have a church. And it's nice to be able to say, hey, this is where we are. We have plenty of parking for you. Come on in. Come on in. That's what our money is providing us for. Should the Lord, hey, understand, I would love to be full-time here. I would love to be able to give my whole attention here. I, I know that there are those that, that I, I find it kind of comical at times that will, will come and, and, and they'll, they'll look at my position. I've had, it, I've had it happen even in this place where they'll come and they'll say, yeah, so do you draw a salary here at the church? Well, why is that important? Well, I just, you know, for my own peace of mind, do you, do you, do you gather any money from the church? Um... Not that I really need to answer that question, but no, I don't. Not at this time. Oh, well then good. Good, you're, you're one of the good ones. No, that doesn't make me a good one or a bad one or an indifferent one. Just because a church can afford to pay a pastor shouldn't make that pastor a bad guy. And just because a pastor doesn't take money from a church doesn't make him a great guy. Sometimes it just makes him an idiot. He just doesn't know any better. There's the verdict's still out on me. Here's the thing. That was supposed to be a joke. That was not supposed to be serious, okay? All right. You're going, yeah, mm-hmm, idiot. Listen, no. That wasn't in your mind, right? Please. No, I'm just joking. Here, here's the thing. You know, to sit here and go, well, well, a pastor shouldn't get paid. A pastor should be just like everybody else because then he can identify with the people. Yeah, that's true. But you know what's funny is that this guy won't be here two or three weeks from now because my message isn't as polished, my message isn't as great as maybe a church down the street. Maybe the guy that he listens to or the guys that he listens to are just, man, have you ever heard this guy? This guy's teaches is awesome, man. His teaching is great. Let me ask you a question. You love his teaching. Yeah. Does he have a church? Yeah. It's a large church. Does he get paid? Does he get paid? He's gotten paid somewhere. Somewhere he's, he's got to make a living. Is, is he a handyman outside of the church? Is he a painter? What does he do? Does he clean offices? Is that what your pastor that you really, really highly respect? Is that what he... Well, no, no, no. He's in church. He's in church. You like his message because he can spend 30 hours a week on his message. When you're outside of the, outside of the church, you don't have 30 hours a week to prepare a message. And it's hard at times. And you are oftentimes the benefactors of a difficult week of my studying. Because they just don't have the time. I'm working, I've got a family, and I've got a church. And then I've got church that has issues. This is not a, 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 a pout fest or a complain fest. That's not it. I love what I get to do. I get to do what I do. I get to do this. This is a fun thing. It's not always fun when bills come around every month. And sometimes it's, man, boom, 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 boom. I've got to, you know, do a lot of work and double time it to, to make some bills. But here's the thing. I wouldn't trade anything for the world. I've had many opportunities 
to leave and go be assistant pastors where I'm going to get paid very handsomely. Wherever, wherever I'm going to go, I'm, I'm not going to have to be working outside of the church. And God has never allowed me to go. We've looked. We actually had, Dana understands, Lynette and I took off a few years ago and went to a place to just see, is this really where, Lord, you want us to go? And I was all for it. And the Lord said no. And my wife was saying, thank you. But here's the thing. I, I, it, was, it was opportunities there. This is where God has, has me. This is where God has you. This is where God has us. This is our church. Paul says, let me just finish here. He says, do I say these things just because I'm making them up? Verse 8. Or does not the law also say you should not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain? Is it oxen that God's concerned about or does he say it all together for our sakes? No, he says it for our sakes, no doubt. This is written uh, that he who plows should plow in hope, that he who threshes should thresh in hope and should be partakers of his hope. He says in verse 11, we've sown spiritual things for you. Is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Paul's going, man, we've poured into you. Are you sending your money to Peter in Jerusalem because he's a cool pastor or because he's a cool apostle? He's not done anything for you here. You've just heard a message or two of his and you're supporting him in there. And you're, you're taking the money that could be supporting here and you're sending it there. Why are you not supporting your local body? That, that's what he's saying. He, if others are partakers of this, he goes, if others are partakers of this right over, over you, are we not even more? We're here ministering to you. Nevertheless, this is going to take some of you guys by storm here. Here's where Paul says, nevertheless, we haven't used this right, but we endure all these things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things, they eat of the things of the temple? And those who serve at the altar, they partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Should there ever be another question in your mind or my mind that a pastor should not have a right to be supported by the church in which he ministers to? No. There should never be an issue ever again. A pastor is perfectly fine to be supported by his church. Look what Paul says. This is going to throw you the curveball. Paul says, but I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Here's what Paul says. I have every right in the world to take money, but I don't do it because I don't want that to be a stumbling block for anyone. I will make tents. That's what he did. I will fabricate and make tents. I will sew them together and I'll make tents. That's what I'll do. Because I never want you ever to think that I did this for a paycheck. I didn't do it. I'm telling you, I will never do this for a paycheck. Calvary Chapel Christian Fellowship will never exist to provide me a paycheck. I made that my promise when I came over here, and I have not failed to live up to that promise to this point. I will never allow Calvary Chapel Christian Fellowship to remain open simply to provide me a paycheck. My purpose here is to to do what I'm doing, preach the gospel to you, and hopefully we can grow together, guys. Hopefully we can grow together. Paul says, and I'm going to finish up these two verses. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I've been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge. That I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. I will do whatever I have to do to preach the gospel, Paul says. 
You can go home and read verses 19 through the rest. I'm going to actually focus on more so verse 24 through 27 next week. In fact, let me just read 19 through 23 and we'll end up. Paul goes, For though I am free from all men, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who were under the law, I, I became as under the law that I might win those who were under the law. To those who were without the law as without the law, not being without the law toward God, but under the law toward Christ, that I might win those who were without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. And I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now, this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. And there is Paul's heart. And I pray that that's my heart. And I pray that I've articulated that today, not in a boastful manner, because please, you guys, do not hear me talk of this in a boastful manner. This is not a boastful message. This is, like I said, this is one of the hardest messages that I would ever have to preach. I would never, ever, ever want to say, hey, look at me. This is what I am. Look at what I've done. No, 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 no. That's not the point. What I hope you hear me say is that he doesn't care what happens as long as he gets to preach the gospel to us on a week-by-week basis. Maybe that'll help us handle an extra few minutes every week, you know, and not having to end exactly on time. But no, it's my opportunity to give you what I can give you. That's what, that's what I have to offer you. I get the opportunity to offer you something on a week-by-week basis. And it's taken us an hour and 55 minutes for me to give you this today. We will go to a movie that will last longer than this. And we'll pay big dollars to do that in order to get entertained with no eternal value whatsoever. Two hours is not too much. I try to keep it at an hour and a half. I don't succeed at that very often, do I? It's because I want to give you everything I have. And when life is over, when I'm done, when you're done, when we're out of here, I hope that one day you can look back and go, you know what? It wasn't the most polished. Could have lost a lot of weight. But one thing I know, he loved Jesus and he loved us. And he loved the word. And he didn't stray from that. Success. Woohoo, that's my life. And I hope that's your life. Amen. Father, thank you so much for today. Tough message, Lord, to preach. And I pray, God, that if there's anything in here of self glorification, God, I pray that that you'd wipe it out of anybody's mind because Lord, you know the heart behind the preparation of this day was not meant for that. For, Lord, what man can there be that can get in a pulpit and boast of anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ? I can boast of you. I can boast of who you are, and I can boast of what you desire to do and what you have done. But there's not a man or woman alive that can stand behind a pulpit and boast of themselves for the things that they have to sacrifice or that they do. It is The pulpit is not a place of self-grandizing as Steve gave me the word last week it's not a place of self-grandizing it's a place of offering oneself out in order to articulate the word of God in the clearest means that that is available to that person that that person can muster I pray Lord that this gospel this pulpit this book of the Bible can sink deep into our hearts as we leave this place today, as we leave every week, as we've always left every week, that we would understand how important your word is and how important it is to surrender our life and sacrifice our life for you and for your sake. Our life has been bought with a price. It is no longer ours, but it is yours. And so, Lord, you call us to offer, whether it be finances, whether it be material items, Lord, maybe it's just time. Maybe it's, maybe it's sacrificing some sleep. Maybe it's whatever the case may be, Lord, you're calling us 
to surrender to, to you, sacrifice to self, and allow you to be glorified in each and every one of our lives. May you, Lord, be glorified. May you, Lord, be high and lifted up. May we see you every single time we come into this place, and may we experience your love and your grace, your mercy, your holiness, your glory. God, may we experience you every single time we gather together and we open your word or we sing a song or we lock our souls together in prayer. Lord, may we see you high and lifted up. May it all be done for you and you alone, O Lord. May your blessed hand, may your Holy Spirit descend upon this church and may you, O Lord, fill our hearts to overflowing with your Holy Spirit that when anybody comes in contact with any of us, they just know that the Holy Spirit has spilled out upon them. They have come in contact with somebody who is passionately in love with you because of what you have done for us, Lord. Thank you. May we be these servants of yours, offering all that we have, all that we are, to you on a day-by-day basis. We pray these things and offer these things to you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor.